All right. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today's Monday, January 20th. It's very, it's not super late, but it's definitely Monday night. Um, I've had a weird long couple days. My internet's been really off the last couple days. And uh, I had to go to my internet provider today and say, hey, what's going on? I took in my box. They gave me a new modem. It should solve the problem, I hope. I think things will upload a lot faster now. Uh, it's been, they, they told me that I had a shorted circuit in my box, in my modem, which is like, whatever. Okay, whatever. Just moving on. Super odd, but happy. Maybe that'll solve the problem. I hope so. Um, I want to shift gears to this and start with this today, though. Um, the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs are both headed to the Super Bowl. And I think as football fans, we just got a we got the best possible matchup. I'm so excited. Uh, there's a couple matchups I'm excited to watch in the Super Bowl, but the number one thing I cannot wait to watch is the 49ers defensive line and really the entire 49ers defense against Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. Um, both of them, the, the 49ers defensive line and Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, are what you would call a scheme ruiner. What that means is that no matter what you do, no matter how well you plan, they find a way to destroy your plan and succeed anyway. You know, the 49ers just beat the Packers and the Vikings in back-to-back weeks. And uh, it's funny to me, it didn't really matter what plays the Vikings and the Packers ran. It, it just didn't matter. The 49ers defensive line took over. They took over those games. They physically dominated. They won one-on-one matchups. And uh, as a person watching the games, it's like, yeah, great. You're the Vikings. You're the Packers. You want a really creative, great play call. Congratulations. It didn't matter because your quarterback doesn't have a chance to get rid of the ball. He's on his back or he's running around trying to avoid a sack because the 49ers defensive line is so physically dominating. They can stop the run. They can disrupt the passing game. They just destroy no matter what you plan and no matter what you throw at them. They find a way to beat you because they can do it with a four-man rush and dominate one-on-one matchups. The 49ers have a really, really exciting defensive line to watch, and it's going to be a struggle for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the thing is that the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is the same way. You can do everything right as a defense, and Pat Mahomes can still find a way to beat you. You can run a perfect zone coverage. doesn't matter. He'll just run for a touchdown. Or you can cover everybody perfectly, and he'll still make a ridiculous throw that nobody else can do and complete the pass. Or he'll extend a play and throw the ball downfield. I mean, he can find so many ways as a quarterback to beat you. Both Patrick Mahomes and the 49ers defensive line can take over and dominate games because of how just dominating physically they are. So I'm curious. I don't know who's going to win this matchup, but I'm really excited to watch the 49ers defense against Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback. I do have to point this out, though. This is a bad... It's kind of bad news for 49ers fans. Um, The one quarterback this year who gave the 49ers a ton of trouble in the two times they played him was Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, has a unique and kind of innate ability to extended plays to avoid a sack, run around, and throw the ball downfield. Patrick Mahomes has that similar type of ability to avoid a sack, to keep a play alive, and throw the ball downfield. So that could spell disaster for the the San Francisco 49ers defense. I don't see a future where the Chiefs don't find a way to score a lot of points on the 49ers. That's why things are going to really rest on the 49ers offense against the Chiefs defense and that throughout the rest of the game. 
I, I got to say that this matchup between the 49ers offense and the Chiefs defense is going to be really fun because the Chiefs defense massively improved this year. Uh, at one point, I even said that the Chiefs defense was the reason why they could not win the Super Bowl. And to their credit, they've really improved. They've gotten a lot better even since I said that. Um, you know, their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo, is really good, really done a great job advancing everybody. And the Chiefs' defense is bought in. They listen to their coaches. They've done a great job this year coming together as a group. I mean, I've talked to some NFL front offices, and the two things they say is that stats are overrated. And, man, have you noticed how much better the Chiefs' defense has gotten? I'm not kidding. Like, I've had four NFL front offices tell me that. That's really cool and exciting and interesting. Um, and I don't know, man. It's going to be really fun. Uh, because you have this really good Chiefs defense that's improved a lot. But the 49ers offense is no slouch. They can score a lot of points and score a lot of points quickly. It, one of the things that their offense centers around is their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, I don't think gets enough love around the NFL. A lot of people, I think fans especially, don't understand what makes him so great. What makes Jimmy Garoppolo so special is he, he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion, but... What makes him great is not that he's flashy or has a huge arm or does this or that. He even throws interceptions sometimes. What makes him so great is that in key moments, on third down or late in the fourth quarter, the game doesn't speed up for him. When the pressure's turned on, Jimmy Garoppolo is completely comfortable, completely confident, completely cool. Some guys kind of really feel that pressure and they crack. Jimmy Garoppolo, to his credit, plays his best football in the biggest moments when his team needs him, that's going to be a big, big advantage in the Super Bowl. He's not going to be faced. It's going to be a gigantic high-pressure moment, and Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be completely even cool, even keel, and play his best game. Now, the 49ers offense is built around running the football. Jimmy Garoppolo could shred you if he wants, but he may not have to because of the 49ers' creative running game. The 49ers use a ton of motions and pre-snap movement to manipulate defenses and give them better matchups in the blocking scheme. What that means is, first of all, in the passing game, they do this too. They'll motion a guy across. It creates a one-on-one matchup they like. But with the way they use this the most is in the blocking scheme, in the blocking, in the running game. They'll motion a guy across. It'll move a defender with him. And that creates one side that they like better than the other. And they run the ball in that direction. They do that all the time. Now, there are also two other fun matchups I can't wait to watch in the Super Bowl. Yes, the you know Patrick Mahomes against the 49ers defense is the highlight then another thing is, well, how good does Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers offense do against the Chiefs defense? Both, I think, can score a lot of points. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we also have the two best tight ends in the entire NFL playing against each other. The 49ers have George Kittle, the tight end from, oh gosh, he's from Iowa. And the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey, this incredible tight end. I don't know how, like, we can really talk about what makes them, in my opinion, I think George Kittle's slightly better. He's a better blocker. I think that gives him an edge. But we don't need to, like, really, like, we can compare stats and do this whole, have the whole conversation about who's better, this guy or that guy. But to me, I just want to appreciate, if you love tight ends, if you, like, if you're a tight end watching this video and you want to watch the best tight ends in football go head-to-head, we're going to get that in the Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey versus George Kittle. They don't play against each other, obviously, at the same time. They're both on offense, but um, it's going to be a blast. And remember, look for George Kittle. The way he blocks makes him the best tight end in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, they're, they're both great receiving tight ends, but George Kittle's ability to block and move guys around and help the 49ers in the running game is what sets him apart from every other tight end in the NFL. Now, the final matchup that comes to mind, in my opinion, there's a lot of matchups we could talk about coming up in the Super Bowl, 
But the one that really stands out to me is between the two coaches, Andy Reid, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, and Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers. Um, they're both great for slightly different reasons. The reason I love Andy Reid is because he's a veteran, man. He's been around a long time. Uh, he coached the Eagles for 14 years. Now he's coached the Kansas City Chiefs for seven years. That's 21 total years in the NFL. He's won 207 games. He's actually the, the he's won more than any other coach in NFL history that hasn't won a Super Bowl. We'll come back to that in a minute. But he's he's a great head coach. And then you have Kyle Shanahan, who's kind of a younger upstart coach. He's newer to the block. He's been around for a couple of years now at the 49ers, but he's still one of the younger coaches, head coaches in the NFL. And uh, he's the son of Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan was the Broncos head coach when John Elway won multiple Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos. Now, Kyle Shanahan might be younger, but he's very, very brilliant. He's so good at, he's an offensive-minded head coach who's so good at not only getting the most out of his players, but putting them in a position to succeed using motions, using you know, creative formations or creative play calls to get his players in a situation that puts them in a spot to be most successful given their abilities. He's such a great open-minded head coach who adjusts his scheme to fit his players. It's really awesome. But the other thing I love about these two coaches is both Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid have both lost Super Bowls. They have actually both lost to the same team, the New England Patriots. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. If you remember back a couple of years ago, the Falcons were leading in the Super Bowl 28-3 to and ended up losing to the New England Patriots. Ooh, that's painful. But he's been to a Super Bowl before. He's lost a Super Bowl before. Now, Andy Reid has a slightly different story. He's been around for years. He was a head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles in 2005. I, think, I believe it was February, January 2005 when he lost the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. So they both lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots. But Andy Reid's been around for years. Again, he's won 207 games. He's been a head coach for 21 seasons. Uh, he's won more games than any other NFL coach in history that hasn't won a Super Bowl. So if Andy Reid doesn't win this time and doesn't win this big game, I believe people are always going to hold it against him. They'll say he's a great coach who could never win a Super Bowl. That's not entirely fair, uh, but that's also football fans. I mean, football fans don't care about fair. They have an opinion, and that's what they say. Um, So I I think, man, I don't know who's going to win this game. I'll do a prediction video eventually down the road, but right now I'm just torn. I really like both franchises. I think their stories are both really interesting and really great. Um, but the Super Bowl is going to be an amazing matchup. I mean, the 49ers and the Chiefs were so lucky as football fans to have such a perfect matchup. I mean, a great defense against a great quarterback, uh, two under, an underrated quarterback against underrated defense, two really good offensive-minded head coaches. Ah, it's going to be a blast, and I can't wait to watch it two Sundays from now. So, um, the 49ers beat the Packers 37-20. to in the NFC Championship game. And uh, here's the thing. People, Packers fans especially, are going to blame either the Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, or they're going to blame the Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur. And I think it's just all silly nonsense. I I wouldn't blame the quarterback or the coach. Uh, People are going to say, well, Aaron Rodgers had two interceptions, and no one's going to pay attention to the fact that one of those interceptions was at the end of the game, kind of a final prayer, hoping to get a big play downfield. And, um, you know, Rodgers was 31 for 39 passing. He had only eight incompletions the entire game. And uh, the Packers are moving the ball really well. Aaron Rodgers is not the reason why the 49ers lost, the, uh, the, the Packers lost the game. And then some people will say, well, 
Remember, the Packers were losing 27 to nothing at halftime. That's on the head coach. Matt LaFleur is the reason why the Packers lost. And yeah, the Packers were losing horribly at halftime. They were down 27 points. But I wouldn't blame their head coach either. Um, you know, why did the 49ers win? Why did the 49ers beat the, Super, in the Packers? Why are they the team headed to the Super Bowl? It's their defensive line. The 49ers defensive line dominated. In this game, they've dominated for weeks. And uh, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback, was running around a ton, avoiding pressure, trying to survive behind the line of scrimmage. The Packers couldn't run the ball because they were so badly beaten up front by that same 49ers defensive line. Um, Any criticism you can give the Packers for losing, I think, is immediately disproven when you just consider the fact that the 49ers dominated the game up front. I mean, it's pretty clear to me Everything they tried to run, they tried to throw the ball, they tried to run the ball, everything they did on offense, the Packers I'm talking about, was blown up by the 49ers defensive line. Now, yeah, the Packers put a couple drives together late in the game, made it 37-20 to rather than 37-7, to but I mean, I don't know. Uh, This is exactly what happened earlier in the year when the 49ers and the Packers played it. We got a repeat of the same game, basically, is that the 49ers defensive line was so dominating, it didn't matter what the Packers ran. It's not coaching. You have to admit that sometimes in football, sometimes it's just so simple that the 49ers were bigger, faster, and stronger athletes. That's why they won. Their, their defensive line was just dominating on Sunday against the Packers. Now, there is another false narrative. I hate fantasy football crap. Uh, people think that stats equate to talent. They're wrong. And uh, the 49ers quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, listen to his stat line in the NFC Championship game. He was six for eight passing. He threw eight total passes in the game. He had 77 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions. And some people will say that because Jimmy Garoppolo's stats were so low, he did nothing and he sucks. (sighs) Fantasy football crap. Drives me nuts, man. Uh, The 49ers ran the ball 42 times. Let me repeat that. The 49ers ran the ball 42 times. Raheem Mostert, their running back, had 29 carries for 220 yards and four touchdowns. The 49ers didn't need Jimmy Garoppolo to do very much in this game because their running game was so dominant. Having low stats doesn't mean that Jimmy Garoppolo had a bad game. It just means that the 49ers dominated by so much they didn't need their quarterback to do very much. I just It drives me nuts. People don't seem to understand. Stats don't mean you're talented. All, really what that shows, the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo only had to throw eight passes for 77 yards in the game on Sunday, what that tells me is, oh my gosh, the 49ers are an incredibly talented football team. They're so good, they can win without their quarterback even doing very much. It's not, it doesn't reflect at all on Jimmy Garoppolo. All that reflects on is how talented and how gifted the 49ers offense is, especially at running the ball, which is their strength. Now, uh, in the AFC Championship game, the Chiefs beat the Titans 35-24, to and uh, this was actually a fairly entertaining game. You know, the 49ers-Packers was a disappointing blowout. Uh, I, I, just, I just didn't enjoy it. I was watching it with my dad, and I was still like, Dad, like, this is just a blowout. It's not very interesting. It was 27-0 at halftime. But the Chiefs and the Titans, on the other hand, was interesting. It had a little bit of drama. It was fun. Uh, at one point, the Titans led 17-7. to There was a really big inflection point in this game. And uh, it was really funny, too, because the Chiefs had a ton of penalties on defense. The Titans had a bunch of momentum. Well, at one point, the Chiefs uh, stopped 
what happened was the Titans were, it was third and 22 for the Titans. And they threw a short pass. They got stopped. But the Titans, uh, the Chiefs got called for pass interference, which gave the Titans a first down, led to a touchdown, which gave them that 17 to 7 lead. Um, I, I don't know, man. There was a moment where when it was 17 to 7, my dad and I look at each other and I'm like, I mean, I'm just waiting for Patrick Mahomes to do something. The Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, NFL MVP last year. I knew he wasn't going to only score seven points in this game. We're like, Dad, at what point is Patrick Mahomes going to turn it on? And boy, did he do that. Uh, it was only a matter of time before the Chiefs got rolling. They actually scored 28 unanswered points and took the lead in this game. Uh, but there was a really important moment and really a telling play by the Tennessee Titans. I think this game, this one play kind of exemplifies this game in a nutshell for the Tennessee Titans. It was first and 10. Uh, the, four, the Titans faked the run. They threw the ball downfield. They had a deep throw to Anthony Fersker, their tight end. It was one-on-one coverage. Anthony Fersker was open downfield, down the left sideline, beat his man by about four steps. And the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, missed the throw. He overthrew it. Would have been a touchdown. At the very least, it would have been first and goal for the Titans. And um, I knew when I saw that, I went, ooh, that's it. That's the game. The minute I saw that happen, and the Titans had the lead when it did happen, I said, if you want to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense, you got to hit all those plays. You get a big opportunity like that. You have a touchdown. A guy beats a man by four steps. He's wide open. You got to hit that throw. And when he didn't, when Ryan Tannehill missed that throw, I knew there's no way that Ryan Tannehill can outduel Patrick Mahomes. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, in the end, the Chiefs defense made a bunch of adjustments up front. They shut down the Titans running back Derrick Henry. And you know, Derrick Henry, the guy who in the last couple of weeks has dominated the NFL playoffs. Derrick Henry only had 69 rushing yards in this game. Um, and uh, the key is that the Chiefs went on a 28-0 run, and the Titans couldn't answer for the longest time. 28 unanswered points by the Kansas City Chiefs offense. That's unbelievable. And when it was uh, 28 to 17, uh, I was like, okay, this is the, the Titans are in trouble. And then when it became 35 to 17, the ball game was over. There's no way the Titans had the offensive power to come from behind and win that game. You know, the Titans offense is designed to run the ball heavily, to dominate the clock, to play with a lead. The Titans offense was not designed to play from behind and throw the ball a bunch and come back. And that's where the Titans weren't able to do that. You know, they're giving up 28 points in a row and you know, getting their running back shut down and then missing a couple opportunities throwing the ball. That's why the Chiefs beat the Titans on Sunday in the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs ended up winning 35-24. to And the keys, again, are they made adjustments, they stopped Derrick Henry, and they made it a game of which quarterback can score more. They said, okay, it's going to be a quarterback duel. Who can score more points? Patrick Mahomes, the NFL reigning MVP, or Ryan Tannehill? No offense to Ryan Tannehill. Great quarterback, had a great year. He's not going to outduel Patrick Mahomes. And uh, to nobody's surprise, Patrick Mahomes won the duel. And that is why the Kansas City Chiefs are headed to the Super Bowl. So, let's talk about that. The Kansas City Chiefs are, in fact, headed to the Super Bowl. And uh, there's so many things to like about the Kansas City Chiefs. I love it, man. Number one, I love their head coach, Andy Reid. He's awesome. He's been a head coach for 21 years in the NFL. He's won 207 games, but he's never won a Super Bowl. No quarterback, no, no coach has ever won more games as a head coach and not won a Super Bowl than Andy Reid. You know, he once did get to a Super Bowl as a head coach of the Eagles at the time, and he lost to the Patriots 
by three points, 21 to 24. I'd love to see Andy Reid win a Super Bowl. I really would. Um, if he doesn't, people always hold it against him. They'll say he's the great coach who could never win the big game. And uh, I think that's sad. I don't want that narrative to be the narrative that Andy Reid's remembered for. He's too good a head coach. He prepares so hard. People love him. Players love him. He really is an offensive genius. The way he designs screen passes are just incredible. He's got really well-coached, really really like detail-oriented teams on offense. And uh, if Andy Reid won a Super Bowl, I'd be so, so happy for him. But then you have to talk about the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Um, people think I don't like Patrick Mahomes. It's so funny. I get criticized. They're like, you never talk about Patrick Mahomes. What the heck, Zach? And uh, I kind of always have felt like, like, what do you want me to say about Patrick Mahomes? I mean, it's, he's so obviously the, like an incredible, incredible quarterback. You know, everybody gushes about him all the time. You know, literally the entire sports media always is just talking about how great Patrick Mahomes is. I'm like, what do I really add to this conversation? I don't want to just beat people over the head with, he's the best, he's the best, he's the best, and just really sell, you know, worship this guy. But he deserves it. I mean, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes is quite possibly the best quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, you know, for people who want me to praise Patrick Mahomes, here to go. Let's just get it all out. Uh, the guy has everything. Patrick Mahomes is unreal. He's literally got the best arm in the entire NFL. Literally, I mean, here's the thing. Patrick Mahomes is, because he plays in the NFL, there's only one you know, National Football League. Patrick Mahomes has the best arm throwing a football on the planet. There's nobody better at throwing a football than Patrick Mahomes. He can, he's got a ton of arm strength. He can throw the ball into any little tiny window downfield. You know, a receiver being open for Patrick Mahomes is it's a different definition than for other quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks go, ah, I can't make that throw, and they come off. There's not a single throw on the entire football field that Patrick Mahomes goes, mm, I can't make that throw. He can. If a guy is considered, you know, covered by most quarterback standards, that's still open for Patrick Mahomes because he can throw on a line, back shoulder. He can do anything he wants. He literally is like a magician with a football. He can put it anywhere he wants and make any throw throughout the football field. But here's what's really cool about Patrick Mahomes that I love and really, really respect. I I played quarterback growing up. You're around a lot of guys growing up, and most quarterbacks who are the most talented have the strongest arm or they throw the hardest, they throw the farthest. Guys that are super physically gifted are usually not that well prepared. A lot of guys like Patrick Mahomes just rely on their talent. You've seen this... For, yeah, Brett Favre was one of these kind of guys. Brett Favre was so talented, I don't think he was as prepared as he could have been. But that's not the case with Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes processes the game so well, and he's incredibly prepared. He always understands where his best matchup is. He's so good at reading defenses. Patrick Mahomes is not just the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL. He also does the work. He's incredibly well-prepared, and that's rare. I'm telling you, that's really rare to find a guy who could get away with just being incredibly talented, also do a ton of work behind the scenes, and be ready for any situation. He works his butt off, and it's a testament to Patrick Mahomes. He's been on a two-year shred in the NFL, and, I mean, there's a reason for that. He looks sometimes like he's playing middle school football. I mean, he's like he's a man amongst boys, the way he runs around. He had a play against the Titans in the AFC Championship game where like before halftime, he ran 25, 20, I mean, 27 yards for a touchdown. And you're like, who is this guy? He's not even a running quarterback, you know, quote unquote. Edge is awesome, man. Um, he's bigger. He's more talented. He just dominates. And uh, here's the thing about Patrick Mahomes that I, I just admire and really respect is that a defense can do everything right. 
A defensive coordinator can make the right call. You can cover everybody. You can even get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and he can still find a way to beat you. He'll avoid a sack, he'll run around, or he'll make an impossible throw that nobody else in the NFL can make. I mean, I know that Chiefs fans have been like, Zach, why have you never talked about Patrick Mahomes? I knew that I was just going to do a passionate rant and like gush about him if I ever did, because he's just the best. I mean, I, the, especially when I put it to words like this, I just recognize, my gosh, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. It's not even close. Um, and I just, I don't know, man. They're, they're, I just love it, man. Now, there is one more other thing I love about the Chiefs' you know, entire football team. I love the red coach. I love Patrick Mahomes, their quarterback. He's incredible. He's a great dude. Uh, and he just is so well-prepared and incredibly gifted. But the other thing I got to give credit to the Kansas City Chiefs for that I really respect and really enjoy, um, I've talked to some NFL front offices. I've been very lucky to have uh, a couple contacts throughout the NFL. And uh, they all say how impressed they are with the improvement of the Chiefs defense. Everybody says, man, have you recognized that this Chiefs defense is incredibly well coached? They bought into that coaching and they've gotten so much better from week one to where they are now. I mean, they were not the same defense at the beginning of the year. They were getting beat. They were giving up a lot of points. And um, they really have bought into their coaching staff. And the Chiefs defense deserves a lot of respect for the work they've done and the improvement they've done throughout the course of the year. I just have to hand it to them. The Chiefs def- I even said at one point that the Chiefs defense was the reason they could not go- win the Super Bowl. And I was wrong, man. I mean, since then, they've gotten way better. And I think now they have an opportunity to win the Super Bowl. And in a large part, because of their defense— so I got to give credit where credit's due, man. The Chiefs' defense is so much better than I said they were and than they were a couple weeks ago. And I just, uh, you know, like, I mean like eight weeks ago. And so um, got to give credit where credit is due. Well done to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, um, the San Francisco 49ers are headed to the Super Bowl. And, uh, man, there are so many things to like about this football team, the 49ers. I'll be honest, in the preseason, I believe that the 49ers were building something. I've, I've really been talking for a long time about the 49ers, and I've said, like, at some point, this team's going to make a run to the Super Bowl. However, I was wrong about one thing. I thought they were going to do that next year. I thought they needed one more year to keep gelling and keep building what they're building. And uh, you know, go watch my NFL predictions video about the 49ers. I said they're going to be, I think, I can't remember what I predicted. It was like 6-10 and 10 or something stupid. And uh, they did just prove me wrong. And their Super Bowl run has come a year earlier than they thought was possible. Uh, But man, I'm so happy I'm wrong. There are two things I love the most about this team. Number one is that the 49ers have great people involved in their franchise. The general manager, John Lynch, and the head coach, Kyle Shanahan, are they seem like great dudes, but they came to San Francisco with a mission and a plan to turn things around. And man, they made it happen. It's so cool to me. Like, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, they have built an incredible football team, an incredible program, fully young players. I mean, it feels like there's going to be a lot of longevity here, too. It's like, man, they really turned around the 49ers, and now they've gotten to the Super Bowl. That's so awesome to me. That leads me to the second thing I love about the 49ers, which is the way they were built. The way they were built is so impressive. First of all, it all started when they traded for... I mean, look, it started really when they hired John Lynch as general manager. We'll, we'll come and circle back to that. But when they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, and uh, you know he went on a five-game stretch, was phenomenal in his first year at the end of the year, and then uh, they took a chance. The 49ers gave Jimmy Garoppolo a massive, massive contract, and bam, they had a franchise quarterback. They traded a second-round pick for him, gave him like $137 million. It was kind of outrageous at the time. 
And uh, the 49ers, that's how they got their franchise quarterback. It was a gutsy move, and it's really, really paid off a lot for the 49ers. But I want to take you back to 2015 and 2016. In both of those years, the 49ers' first-round pick was a defensive end from Oregon. It was Eric Armstead and then DeForest Buckner. And uh, right after that, in 2017, January, John Lynch became the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. And he was well aware of the fact that the last two first-round picks were defensive ends. But then he doubled down on the defensive line. He really, John Lynch has said, I am going to draft linemen. I'm going to build a great offensive line. I'm going to build a great defensive line. That is how we're going to win. And in 2017, with the first-round pick, John Lynch drafted Solomon Thomas. And then in 2018, he continued to build their team up front. He drafted another, uh, he drafted a tackle out of, uh, gosh, what's, I, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on his name right now. The guy out of Notre Dame, Mike McGlinchey, not, is he Notre Dame? They drafted Mike McGlinchey. He's been phenomenal. Then in the 2019 NFL draft, their second overall pick in the first round, they drafted Nick Bosa, a defensive end out of Ohio State. And then they continued to pick up more defensive linemen. They draft, they, they traded for the Chiefs defensive end and former first round pick, D Ford. So man, the 49ers doubled, tripled, even quadrupled down on, we are building our football team up front. They drafted offensive linemen. They drafted defensive linemen. They have an embarrassment of riches, especially on the defensive line. And they have five first round picks on the defensive line. The 49ers do. It's ridiculous. And it's paid off for them, man. They, their defensive line has carried them a long way and made it look easy throughout the playoffs, man. Uh, it's awesome. It's really, really awesome. And then you got to really give credit. This is what's cool. They're playing in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. D. Ford used to be a Kansas City Chief, and they didn't want to give him a big contract, so the Chiefs traded him to San Francisco with the 49ers. He might get a chance to have revenge against his former team. Are you kidding me? That's a cool story right there. And so, you know, I'm from the Northwest. All my friends are, for, you know, Seattle Seahawks fans. And so, um, as a guy, I live in the Portland area. And I think I'm not supposed to like the 49ers. All my friends love the 40, you know, love the Seahawks and they're Russell Wilson fans. But I don't have a favorite team. I love football. And I, I so much admire the 49ers and the way they built their team, especially the way they built their defensive line. The 49ers said again, the way we're going to win is by dominating teams up front. They built an offensive line. They built a defensive line. They got their franchise quarterback. They got a great head coach, Kyle Shanahan, who's a genius with offensive schematics. And man, has it paid off. I'm so happy for them. And uh, man, I love the offensive system the 49ers run. They use a lot of motion and a lot of movement pre-snap to create good matchups. Uh, they run the ball so well. I love their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I just, I love it, man. I, I really do. I'm so happy for the 49ers. I, I do got to mention, I can't talk about the 49ers without saying these two things is that oh, I, I'm talking to million. I'm so, <laughs> I want to, I'm having a hard time slowing down because I'm so excited about this. Um, you know, the 49ers quarterback is Jimmy Garoppolo and he used to be a member of the New England Patriots. And a couple of years ago, the Patriots decided to invest in Tom Brady and get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. And how interesting would it be if this offseason, you know, Tom Brady left the Patriots and it happened only a couple months, you know, a month or two after his former backup Jimmy Garoppolo 
won a Super Bowl with a different football team. That's a story I, oh man, that's cool. Good for Jimmy Garoppolo, man. You know, I, I can't imagine the the pressure he felt, maybe even in New England, like, am I going to have to replace Tom Brady? He didn't have to. He got to go to another team and he might still get a Super Bowl and he's playing great. I'm happy for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's awesome. Uh, if the, you know, I really, if the 49ers won the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. They have great people. They have a great story. I really am, uh, I love it, man. I, I do got to add one more thing. I wasn't planning to, but it is important. Um, if the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes gets injured in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs are screwed. They have no chance to win. But if Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, as, as, as great as Jimmy Garoppolo is, he's incredible. He's a big reason why they're winning games. The 49ers would be okay because they do have a really good backup. His name is Nick Mullins. Uh, he's, a, he's a great dude, but Nick Mullins has played before. He played last year when Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, and uh, he played great when he had his moment. And I believe that that's a thing to look forward to, like, not look forward to, but maybe pay attention to, is if by some horrible tragedy, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt in the Super Bowl. Nick Mullins, I believe, is the kind of guy who would step up in a big moment and play well. You know, when Nick Mullins, if he ever gets his opportunity, he will be ready. I don't know if that's going to play out in the Super Bowl or not. We might never, ever hear Nick Mullins' name at all in the Super Bowl. But do be, do be aware that the 49ers have a really good backup. They have, oh, they have the guy from Iowa, <laughs> Nick, uh, what's his name? I forget his name. And they have, they have Nick Mullins, and they have the guy from Iowa, the other guy, I can't remember. He's got the big beard. Uh, I can't, I'm, so, I'm, blank, I'm blanking on his name. Right? I, I, none of this is prepared. I don't have any, I, I'm so sorry. But remember, though, the 49ers do have a really quality backup, Nick Mullins. So I'm excited to watch. It's going to be fun. Um, I don't know. If the 49ers win, I would not be disappointed at all. Now, I feel like with this Super Bowl, though, uh, I have nothing to lose, man. I love both teams. No matter who wins, I'll be happy. I mean, I'll be happy for the winner. I'll be sad for the loser. And uh, all I can ask for at this point is that we get a good game. I want a good Super Bowl with a good game. And hopefully it goes down to the wire. And I just, that's all I can ask for, man. If we get a blowout, I'll be so disappointed. I remember uh, a couple of years ago when. The Seattle Seahawks blew out the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. That's not fun for anybody. I want a good. I want to be able to be. I want to watch in the fourth quarter, and be interested and still be unsure of whether or not one team is going to win. I mean, that's what I want. I want a good matchup that goes down to the wire, down to the end, and that's all I'm hoping for as a football fan in the Super Bowl. Now, uh, in the wake of the AFC Championship game, I want to take a moment to honor the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they had a really special year, and they deserve a lot of respect. I mean, the Titans finished nine and seven, and many people held their record against them. They're like, the Titans only went nine and seven. They're a wild card team, but the Titans were a lot better than a typical nine and seven football team. You know, they started the year two and four. People forget they started the year two and four, and then they switched quarterbacks. They made a move from Marcus Mariota. They benched him and played Ryan Tannehill. And with Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback, they went 9-4. and four. They lost four games to Marcus Mariota in six games. Throughout the rest of the year, they only lost four more games to Ryan Tannehill as quarterback. And the things they accomplished together, man, the Titans this year, had a playoff game in New England against the Patriots. They won on the road in Foxborough. They had a game at Baltimore against the Ravens. They won. So awesome and deserve so much respect and praise. They overcame a bad start to the year. And uh, I, I really think that if the Titans had played anybody in the AFC Championship game beside Patrick Mahomes, who just can, he's just a game ruiner who dominates no matter who he plays. 
if the Titans had played anybody other than Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game, the Titans would be in the Super Bowl at this moment right now. And, uh, man, the Titans are so well coached. They played great defense. They ran the ball so well. But what made the difference for them down the stretch was making that change to Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. I mean, he made, like, especially in the playoffs, he didn't throw the ball a ton, but he made key plays on third down. It was a third and goal against the Ravens where they ran a speed option. He faked the pitch and kept it and took the ball for a touchdown. Or a third and two that nobody remembers where on the sideline, he got to the sideline, shouldered forward, knocked the guy forward, and fell for a first down. I mean, Ryan Tannehill made a lot of plays down the stretch. Had a deep throw on play action against the Ravens, I can't forget. Um, man, it's so cool to me. The Dolphins had Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback, and they got rid of him. They said, we're, we don't believe in you anymore. We're moving on. We're finding a new guy. And uh, Ryan Tannehill found redemption with the Tennessee Titans. I'm so happy for him. Uh, it would have been even cooler if he'd gotten to the Super Bowl to play in Miami. You go to back to his former locker room and, and you know play in the Dolphins stadium. But he didn't do that. But regardless, I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for the Titans. I mean, the Titans deserve a ton of respect. They had a really special season, and uh, I'll never forget this Titans team. It was so much fun to watch, and uh, they just deserve a lot, a lot of respect and a lot of credit. Now, the Packers. Uh, the Packers lost in the NFC Championship game. No trip to the Super Bowl for them, but I think Packers fans still have to feel like this was a successful year. I mean, they went 13-3. and They won the NFC North. They beat the Vikings twice. They beat the Bears twice. They beat the Lions twice. They swept the entire NFC North. And uh, they only lost to three teams all year. They lost to the Chargers. They lost to the Eagles in a weird game that came down to the end. And then uh, they lost to the 49ers twice. I mean, again, I can't repeat this. The Packers only lost to three football teams all year. That's pretty crazy. And the fact is that, you know, against the... <laughs> they, they found a weakness, right? The Chargers and the 49ers had great defensive lines that made it impossible for the Packers to win. I mean, that it just there are three games this year where the Packers' offensive line got dominated in one-on-one matchups. They lost all three of those. They lost to the Chargers, and they lost to the 49ers twice. So, I don't know. I walk away from this year feeling like the Packers have nothing to be ashamed of. They didn't get beat because they had bad schematics. They weren't outcoached. They, they just got beat physically against, a, especially the 49ers, were just a better team that dominated them up front. There's nothing to be ashamed about with that. Now, there are two takeaways I want to talk about for the Packers coming away from this season. Number one is that it's pretty clear Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, just needed help. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been a great quarterback for a long time, but you notice the Packers went out last offseason. They made moves. They went and got Preston Smith and Zedarius Smith, two really good edge rushers. They went and got Adrian Amos, the safety from the Bears, who had, you know, he really, he wasn't a flashy safety, but what he did was often was in the right spot. I made a couple of key plays down the road stretch. It was sad he didn't play in the NFC Championship game. And then their running back, Aaron Jones, emerged as a star this year for the Packers. So getting Aaron Rodgers' help really, really paid off. You notice, got help, bam, 13-3, and swept the NFC North, and uh, got to the NFC Championship game. Pretty interesting to me. Oh, that's what happens when you give a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers better players to play with. Now, the other thing, my, you know, my other takeaway is that I was skeptical when Matt LaFleur got hired by the Green Bay Packers. I was like, who is this guy? He's never coached before. He's like 39 years old. He's basically the same age as Aaron Rodgers, give or take like four years. And uh, he took the Packers all the way to the NFC Championship game. I mean, he really, it's awesome to me. It's pretty clear, like, 
he was the right guy for the job. I mean, they lost to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Just a superior team that dominated them physically. No sweat to that. Um, Matt LaFleur proved himself. He did a great job. I'm happy for him. And I just, I just, my final takeaway from the year for the Packers is that moving forward, Matt LaFleur is the right guy, and he was the right guy all along. He did a great job this year, and I have a lot of respect for him and the job he did. Okay, um, <laughs> a fun one. This is a great, uh, this topic makes me so happy. Um, I'm going to drink some water first because it's, it's a spicy one. Um, <clears throat> someone sent me a video today. It was a, a video that Seahawks receiver DK Metcalf put out. Uh, it was a hype video. It was a hype video hyping DK Metcalf in the year he had. And the video had voiceover of people who doubted him. And I made the cut. It was pretty like surreal and cool. I was like, I, a video that DK Metcalf put on social media, I'm in that video. Like, there's, there's a clip of voiceover with me talking about DK Metcalf. I'm like, what? That's so cool. And I, I get it, man. You know, it's, I, I want to take the time and say that I'm so happy for DK Metcalf. I really am. Um, I really respect the work you put in this year. Um, and he just, he just improved a lot as a player. Around the time of the NFL draft, I made a video. Um, and I doubted him. I, I said, uh, he looks like an unfinished product. He's not quite where he needs to be. And um, I said he wasn't a great route runner. I stand by that. At the time, I was right. He wasn't a great route runner. He was a, an underdeveloped receiver coming out of Ole Miss, coming out of college. Um, but, uh, you know, throughout the course of the year, DK Metcalf got significantly better. And I just have to give it respect. I mean, there was a turning point for him about midseason where he made a really big jump. Uh, but we should back up early in the year. Uh, the majority of the routes that DK Metcalf was running were, you know, slants, fades, and hitches. Very simple, mundane routes that don't take a lot of precision. And as the year went on, he began to do more and more technical things as a receiver. And especially, like, in the final playoff game against the Green Bay Packers, he had some routes. So I was like, okay, DK, like, you're really stepping it up. And he, he really did made tremendous strides as a player. And that, that final playoff game was proof of his progression as a receiver. And so, DK, first of all, if you're listening, man, you proved me wrong. I'm happy you did. Well done. I really respect your work ethic. Um, but I just, I have to say, I respect so much the way that DK Metcalf evolved his game. I mean, he, he proved me wrong. I'm critical of people often. They, uh, people think, you know, I call things like I see it. I try to be honest. And when I see something I don't think is going to work, or I, I just I say what I believe, right? Um, but I think people often misunderstand that and think that, I root against people. I don't root against anybody. I root for people. I, I really am happy for DK Metcalf, the person. Uh, NFL players are people. I root for people. And I'm so happy he proved me wrong. He did. He, DK Metcalf um, made me look silly this year. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I'm happy for him. Again, I have nothing against him. I really am. I'm glad he proved me wrong. And um, I respect the work he put in this year to improve as a receiver. He made great strides. DK Metcalf deserves a round of applause. Great job, man. And, uh, I'm rooting for him moving forward. I hope he continues to keep getting better. And uh, just just so happy for DK Metcalf. I have nothing but good things to say, and I really respect his work ethic. Um, here's a fun story. The New York Giants have hired Jason Garrett to be their new offensive coordinator. Uh, Jason Garrett, if you don't know, is the former Dallas Cowboys head coach. He was just fired by the Cowboys. And uh, I have a very open mind about this hire. You know, Jason Garrett is well-respected throughout the NFL for his knowledge of offense. There's a lot of people in NFL front offices say good things about Jason Garrett. And, uh, you know, this guy was subpar as a head coach. Jason Garrett, 
ultimately was not the head coach the Cowboys needed. He got fired. Um, but I want Giants fans to remember that the skill set required to be an NFL head coach is very different from the skill set required to be a successful offensive coordinator or even defensive coordinator in the NFL. I mean, the best example I can think of is that, oh, uh, maybe the, the former Giants head coach, Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer was a really good offensive coordinator with the Minnesota Vikings. But when he was hired by the Giants, he completely miserably failed as a head coach of the Giants. My point is that being a head coach and being a coordinator are very different jobs with very different skill sets required to make it happen. So I believe that Jason Garrett could be great as the Giants offensive coordinator. In fact, Jason Garrett used to be the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator, and he did that job so well. He did so well as the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys, he got elevated to head coach. And so uh, Jason Garrett, well-respected throughout the NFL, did a great job last time he was an offensive coordinator. I got to say, I, I, I think that this move is a good move for the Giants. But here's my personal favorite part of the entire story and the entire fact that the Giants hired Jason Garrett. Uh, Jason Garrett does not seem like a vindictive guy at all. He's not the kind of guy to look for revenge. I, I really just don't believe that. But by moving from the Cowboys to the Giants, he stayed in the same division. He stayed in the NFC East. And uh, Jason Garrett's going to get to face the Dallas Cowboys twice a year moving forward with the Giants. And I'll be honest, man, it would be so cool to watch Jason Garrett get revenge on the Dallas Cowboys to say, hey, uh, this is what you're missing. You're missing me. I was a great coordinator, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I don't know, man. Especially the way the Cowboys fired Jason Garrett, interviewing other coaches before they'd even officially fired him. It just really rubbed me the wrong way. I hated that. And I got to say, I have an open mind about Jason Garrett as a New York Giants offensive coordinator. Um, I believe the coordinator job fits his personality better than head coach. He's not a very uh, imposing or he's, he's not a guy that demands a lot of respect when he speaks at a podium, for example. He seems like kind of a just a wishy-washy guy, but that doesn't mean he couldn't be a great coordinator. Remember, the skill sets are different. They demand different levels of respect. And uh, you also got to acknowledge that Jason Garrett's time as a head coach brings in valuable experience with Joe Judge, who is a first-year head coach for the New York Giants. I think Jason Garrett is perfect. Honestly, the, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, this is a great move for the Giants. They have an experienced coordinator who's been around the league for a long time. Coming to the Giants is going to help Joe Judge. They'll run the offense. And I think for the Giants, man, this is a great move all around. Hiring Jason Garrett, A-plus move in my book. Okay, um, here's how we're going to end the show. We're going to talk about UFC 246. So on Saturday night, I, uh, I can't even talk. On Saturday night, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings with a bunch of my friends to watch UFC 246. In fact, here's what happened. Uh, really, first of all, I was there to see Conor McGregor fight, you know, Cowboy. That's what I wanted to see. But I got to say, here's what was cool. My best friend Elijah is in the Air Force. He's out. He's gone. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska. I miss him a lot. Um, but his family actually was like, "Hey, Zach, you want to come with us to watch the fight?" at Buffalo Wild Wings, and it was so cool, and I got to meet a couple fans. Some people came up to me and said, hey, are you, are you Zach from Strong Opinion Sports? And I was like, yes, I am, and it was pretty cool and wild, and I, I loved it. But Elijah, first of all, you're missed. We, we had a great time without you, but you are so much missed. His parents were awesome, and uh, I, maybe the reason I'm talking about this is because, first of all, I wanted to share my, my love of my friend Elijah, who's in the Air Force, but um, USC 246 was weird. It was not, you know, it was not... Um, the Conor McGregor fight was 40 seconds. So I had to find other things like to make the experience worth it to me. Like what, what about it did I enjoy? And it was so odd because there were so many one-sided fights 
in this fight night. I mean, you know, Pettis tapped in round two. Osborne tapped in round one. I was excited for the Atlantic Green fight. And then, you know, Maurice Green got pushed around and tapped in the second round. I was like, man, come on. What the heck? I wanted these two huge men to have a giant brawling duel. And then even like Holly Holm had a fight that did go down to a decision, but it was extremely not, not a very exciting fight. It was kind of like Holly Holm had the strategy. She wanted to control the fight for a long time and just try to get points. So finally, we got to Conor McGregor versus Cowboy. And I was like, oh, let's go. And there were people at Buffalo Wild Wings that had hats on. And this is not sponsored. It's just a place I watched the fight at. Um, but, you know, I, I was just hoping. I was like, please, please. Tonight, all night has been kind of one-sided. Can we please get a really good entertaining fight? And I got to say, um, <laughs> Conor McGregor's fight was probably the most entertaining fight of the night. Now, and it was also probably the most entertaining 40 seconds of the entire night. But it was 40 seconds. I was like, ah, are you kidding me? Like, all I wanted was a back-and-forth intense fight. And we didn't get it. Conor McGregor knocked out Dallas, <laughs> knocked out Cowboy in 40 seconds. He comes out, you know, bam, bam. Like, he literally felt like he jumped on him, I think, looking back. Uh, and then he had a shoulder to the nose, Conor McGregor did. And he knocked out Cowboy in 40 seconds. Are you kidding me? Like, it was wild. And it was so much fun. The place went crazy, by the way. But I got to say, um, I love Conor McGregor for so many reasons. One of them is that he talks a bunch of mess, but Conor McGregor backs up the stuff he talks. I mean, he really does, and he really did. He's a great fighter. He talks a lot of smack, but he's a great fighter that can back up that smack talk. Now, I believe a lot of people who watched this fight, like my dad had never heard of Cowboy before, didn't know a lot about him. And, and uh, you know, some people thought that the reason why Donald was so, Donald, he goes by Cowboy, Donald was so gracious after the fight was because he thought he was always going to lose. But that's not true. Um, I think a majority of the people just don't understand who Donald is as a fighter. He's super gracious. That's that's his brand. That's his shtick. I mean, he's not a guy who's loud and boisterous and he's not a cocky loudmouth. He's a, a gracious, respectful man, respectful guy. That's who Cowboy is. And I respect that approach. I mean, that's really cool. And I think even Conor McGregor respected that approach. Uh, you know, personally, I love Conor McGregor. Um, he seems like a cocky, arrogant SOB, but that's fun to me. I don't think he really is cocky and arrogant. I think he's just really smart as a businessman. Conor McGregor understands that, you know, it's a war of escalation. The more wild he is at the podium, the more crazy stuff he says, the better it is for business. And so, you know, I want to point out though, he, Conor McGregor had a moment of really cool humanity where, you know, he knocks out a cowboy in 40 seconds. It's embarrassing. Um, and he goes up to Donald and gave him a hug. He was incredibly respectful. He hugged Cowboy's grandma. Um, you know, the way that Connor treated Cowboy after beating him was so respectful. And it's the most subdued I've ever seen Connor McGregor after winning a fight. Uh, I really believe that Connor McGregor respects and uh, he, he respects Cowboy's gracious approach to life and the way he carries himself. And I think I just, it was a cool moment for Connor where I was like, okay, I love to see him not rubbing this in his face. He's being human and shaking his hand and giving him a hug and respecting him. I, I love Conor McGregor, man. What gets me about Conor is his story. People don't understand. Conor McGregor was once a plumber. And look, I respect plumbers. It's a, it's a really, uh, it's a, it's, it's a really uh, respectable trade. Like it, it's an important part of our society. Uh, I have friends who are plumbers. Like it's, it's a very tough job. But how many plumbers can you say they go, how many guys who used to be plumbers can say they went from a plumber to having a hundred million dollars in the bank. Conor McGregor became a multi multi millionaire 
from being a plumber. I mean, that story to me is so cool. I think a lot of people hate Conor McGregor. I get it. He's a loudmouth, but I don't think he's really actually a loudmouth. I think Conor McGregor is the guy who made it. A plumber who became a multimillionaire. And that's so cool to me, so exciting for me, you know, for him. Like, it's awesome. And uh, he's a guy who made it. And he's a smart businessman. He talks a lot of smack, but the reason why he talks so much is because it's for show. I really think most of what Conor McGregor says and a lot of his antics are not because that's really who he is. I think a lot of that is because he knows the more loud and crazy and boisterous he is, the more cameras get put on him, the bigger star he becomes. And so... Uh, I don't hold Conor McGregor's mouth against him at all. In fact, I think he's a... We saw this against Donald, like against a Cowboy. I want to keep wanting to say Dallas. His name is Cowboy. He goes by Cowboy. But um, the way he carried himself after beating Donald, the way that Conor McGregor did, showed a lot of humanity and was so cool to me. So I, I love Conor McGregor. He's my favorite fighter in the world. And uh, part of it's because of the entertaining way he talks. And then part of it is because he's got a great story. And even in a big moment against... Uh, you know, against Cowboy and after beating Cowboy, he was incredibly gracious. So Connor is my favorite fighter. That's what I thought of USC 246. It was a weird night, very one-sided night. Uh, but even, you know, you can criticize the fight. It was only 40 seconds, but you have to admit it was probably the most entertaining 40 seconds of the entire night. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I want to I end the show with this. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, four years ago, my younger brother died. Uh, February 8, 2016, it was heartbreaking because he took his life. It's one of the most painful things I've ever been through. And I learned two really impactful lessons after my brother took his life. Number one is that he never shared his struggles. My brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. He just one day uh, took his life. And so I went upstairs to his bedroom and found him dead on the floor. And that's awful. And I don't want that to happen to other people. I really hope that if you're having a hard time, you talk to people and you share your struggles. But number two is that I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that he could talk to me. You know, my brother and I, I saw him every day. We worked together, but we had very surface level conversations about girls, about movies, about sports. Uh, we never said like, hey, how are you doing? He went through a breakup recently. I never really asked him, how, how was the breakup? What's going on? We just were very surface level. So I encourage you, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them, how much you care about them. And then don't be afraid to have, you know, deeper conversations that go deeper beyond the surface rather than just talking about girls and movies and sports. Uh, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. If you're struggling, go get help, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And uh, bam, bam, we are done.